0: It's Off the Pike, presented by FanDuel. The second half of the NBA season is here, and you can bet on the action with an assist from FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, you can check the new and improved Parlay Hub. Filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays, all on one page. Plus, start betting on the Explore page and the Pulse and bet live same-game parlays for every NBA game. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit the slash RG to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus in president select states gambling problem. Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit the slash RG. This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. ABC Pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com. Welcome into Off the Pike. I'm Brian Barrett, recording late after the Celtics beat the Kings. They respond in a major way after the loss, of course, to the Warriors on Tuesday night. I believe the voice is going to be better today than it's been for the last two pods, (laughs) although... I feel slightly worse than I did over the last two pods. I feel like everybody's sick right now. If you're not sick, just like watch out. Stay away from everybody because I'm telling you, chills, up all night, sleeping during the day. It's it's not fun right now in terms of, I don't know, it's, it's not a COVID thing. I don't know if I have the actual flu, but it, the past few days have not been fun. So hopefully this means I'll be good for Christmas, but I'm telling you, Try to stay away from people right now, which I know is impossible because you get to go to the mall and everything. Well, most people, I, I would assume a lot of you do online shopping, but stay away from crowds right now, because if you go anywhere, you're going to get sick. All right. But anyway, I felt like this game was just really impressive to watch. And look, there are a couple of issues left over from the Warriors game that I want to address. And I think there are a few concerns that are worth mentioning because we're talking about two games here. So I think there are a few things worth mentioning. But as I said on the Sunday pod, this team feels different to me because of the way they answered the call against the Magic. To respond the way they did in this game against the Kings was really impressive. And another reason I think they're different. They don't have Tatum in the lineup. And it really shows you not just how talented this team is, But also their motivation level, right? They were embarrassed for the way they finished that game on Tuesday night. And they wanted to respond. I mean, I heard Scal talk about on the broadcast that essentially they took a bus from San Francisco to Sacramento and it was completely silent. This is a team that was, what, at the time, 20-6 and on the season. They, I get it, they lost in excruciating fashion. But that shows you, like, they care. They're fucking pissed off after they lose a difficult game to the Warriors. And, of course... That game has a little bit more significance because of what happened in the NBA Finals a couple of years ago against that team. And I cannot see Steph Curry doing that celebration again, putting the Celtics to sleep. And I know it's kind of like Jalen did the too small earlier in the game. But my point being is I just felt this is really impressive. This is a Kings team that was on a three-game winning streak. They had won five of their last six. They were playing their fourth straight home game. Fox was going off in the first quarter. And it doesn't matter. The Celtics beat them down. After your best player has a first quarter like that, ordinarily you win the game and the Celtics responded, which I think is different from last year where they were ready. Hey, this team came out with a huge haymaker and the Celtics responded and won the first quarter in somewhat, I don't want to say dominant fashion because the Kings were right there, but they dominated in terms of the response that they showed. And they really dominated throughout this game outside of right, like the first six or seven minutes or so. They were able to withstand The knockout blow that the Kings tried to deliver in this game. And look, a big part of this, we can all acknowledge, is the difference where you missed a season high, 41 threes in the game on Tuesday night. You were 17 of 58, or I should say uh, organizational high, 41 threes. You missed the most threes in the history of the organization. You were 17 of 58, 29.3%. And then tonight you go 22 of 42, 52.4%. That's obviously a major factor for why you win the game compared to the game against the Warriors. But there is more to it in terms of the Maker Miss League, and I'll get into that later. But look, I want to start with the positive. I'll get into the issues that I had from the Warriors game, but I want to get to the positive because I felt like the response was one of the most positive things I take out of these two games. But also... I really felt like the thing that sticks out to me in this game, there's a lot of guys to give credit to and to praise in this one in particular. But the thing that sticks out to me is I felt like this is the best we've seen Porzingis play all season long. And he's had great games. He's a major difference maker for this team, as we know. But he was downright dominant in this game. Seriously, I mean, he was awesome. And he only played three quarters, obviously, like a lot of the regulars did outside of Drew. 24 points on 7 of 11 shooting, 3 of 4 from deep, 9 rebounds. And how about this one? Six blocks in this game. He was dominant as a rim protector. He was a plus 22 in his 29 minutes. Unbelievable. And look, a lot of guys had great plus minuses tonight, but worth mentioning. So I want to start with sort of the cheat code he provided in the third quarter. So they played through him, right? Where he gets a switch on herder, hits a follow shot over herder, and Sabonis is in his landing spot. Hits the shot anyway. Makes it 76-67. And let me tell you, I was freaking out for a second there, okay? I think I tweeted out, like, oh, no, with a bunch of exclamation marks. I was worried about that ankle. It looked like he was a little gimpy. We'll see how he is in the following days. Because the biggest thing with Porzingis, of course, is his health. But he's able to stay in the game. He gets a five-point possession because he gets a switch on to again. Hits a gets to the free throw line, hits both free throws, makes it 79-67. Very rare to get the five-point possession in the NBA. But the reason I say this is a cheat code is they basically went after Herter in that particular situation. So they actually ended up calling a timeout, and we don't ordinarily see this in the NBA, right? We see coaches all the time, like that early in the third quarter, they'll take a timeout to sort of try to stop momentum of the other team. But we don't see a coach take a timeout to change something schematically. And that's what the Kings did. They took Herder out of the game and they put Lyles into the game because they needed something to sort of stop the switch where Porzingis was getting Herder matched up. And not that Lyles made much of a difference. But that's a part of the reason where I mentioned the cheat code. Porzingis at times can be impossible to guard when he posts up. So what the Celtics did is they just spammed that pick and roll with Porzingis and he abused it. And if you look at the numbers on the season prior to tonight when he posts up, points per possession in the post. Best of any player with at least 40 post possessions. He's 19 of 28, which is 67.9%. I would say, honestly, he needs more touches there because he just dominates. And this is part of the issue in the game the other night where Porzingis didn't play. Hey, if your offense gets stuck in the mud, you have this option now, which of course you didn't have last year. So I thought that was major, that you just have this thing that you can go to, even with Jason Tatum not in the game. Porzingis. Hey, we can just go to this. And they went to it early and often in that third quarter. The other thing I would say, we mentioned the defense, the six blocks, and a lot of them led to baskets at the other end. You think about early on in the game, he blocks Fox, where Fox tries to challenge him, and Porzingis goes up and blocks it, leads to a Jalen dunk on the other end to make it 23 to 14. And that was a dangerous situation there because they were about to go up. They were about to get up to 25 points there. After that block it actually put the Celtics on an 11-0 run, where it felt like really early in that game, uh-oh, could the Kings run away with this one? That block sort of was a huge momentum swinger in the game. Then he blocked Fox at the rim, where Fox tried to challenge him again, leads to a Jalen layup on the other end to make it 63-58. He blocked Murray with the score 83-69. And then he blocks Sabonis, which led to a Drew 3 to make it 90-69. He then blocks Sabonis at the rim to make it 102, or the score was 102-78, I should say. So you think about all that. Sabonis is their big guy, can't score on him in the post. And when these guards are beating their initial defender, Porzingis is there to clean up the best. So I thought he was awesome. And he just we talk about the difference he makes offensively. He's made a huge difference for this team defensively. You look at the Celtics on the season, this is via cleaning the glass. Teams are shooting just 59.8% against the Celts at the rim. That's the second best mark in the NBA. The league average is 65.6%. And again, the Celtics are at 59.8%. A lot of that has to do with Kristaps Porzingis. It's not only the shots that he blocks. It's the shots that teams make more difficult on themselves, right? The floaters go a little bit higher. And even to the point where they don't give up a lot of shots at the rim because Porzingis is there, right? He's a deterrent in that particular situation. And we talk about the Celtics where it's not a team that forces a lot of turnovers. So on the season, the Celtics average is 15.9 points per game off of turnovers. Which is 20th in the NBA, right? That's a low number. So, what those blocks did tonight is they initiated the break. So, it's not a traditional turnover, but when you get a block like that, it creates easy opportunities in transition. I just ran through the blocks in terms of them directly leading to points on the other end. So, he brings a cheat code offensively. He can wreck a game on defense. He did both of those in those games. He didn't, in this game, rather, he didn't just become the cheat code on offense and dominate and wreck the game on defense, right? Like a defensive end would do in the NFL where it's like, oh, Miles Garrett just ruined the game for the opposing offense, right? He did that, but he also did what the quarterback does when he destroyed you on the other end, right? So it's a cheat code offensively and a game wrecker on the defensive end. It's just, that's why I say it was his best game because he dominated so clearly on both ends. And I'm not saying that Kristaps Porzingis is clearly not the best player on the Celtics, but what we saw in that third quarter... I think he may be. I don't want to say he thinks, but I do believe he is their biggest mismatch. It's just, it's very difficult to match up with this guy when you can get him switched on to a smaller defender or like the other thing that he does for you is he brings out bigger defenders, which clears up the lane for your drivers, right? So I just feel like, The mismatch he creates, what he does defensively, he was so awesome tonight. And look, Tatum's a great player, and no dismissing that whatsoever, despite he had some issues in the game the other night with the ankle situation. But Porzingis, in terms of the mismatch he creates, the Celtics don't have anything like that. Like, he was amazing in this game tonight. I thought he was awesome. So I thought he was the biggest story. And then probably the second biggest story is Derek White. Because Derek White goes 11 of 24 in the game on Tuesday, 7 of 18, 30 points in three blocks. He follows that up with 28 points on 10 of 13, shooting 6 of 9 from deep, 4 blocks, 7 assists. So that means in the last two games, in seven quarters, because he didn't play, of course, in the fourth quarter in this game on Wednesday night. So in the last two games, he has 58 points. He's 17 of 31. That's 54.8% from the field. 13 of 27 from three-point territory, 48.1% and seven blocks. I mean, this guy is a guard, and he had back-to-back games of three blocks. In fact, this is now his third consecutive game where he's had at least three blocks. I mean, it's incredible. And the amazing thing to me about Derek White is this is his 29-year-old season, and he's having unquestionably his best season. Career high in points, right? And I love the fact that he took 18 threes, in the game on Tuesday night. Now, I know we can get into a discussion about threes, and I'll address that in a little bit, but Derek White is a great shooter. Like, when you shoot north of 41% from three, you are a great shooter. I love the fact that he has the confidence to take 18. If you go back to two years ago, when the Celtics were playing in the playoffs, when he didn't hit a couple of threes, he'd be afraid to shoot, and Pritchard would replace him in the lineup, right? Think about that. Like, Pritchard, may had more faith at times to go with Pritchard over Derek White. Think about how far he's come. And that wasn't like he was a super young player at that time. He was in his 27-year-old season. And now he has the confidence to take 18 threes. Because first of all, he's put the work in. But secondarily, he's a great three-point shooter. So you certainly love to see that. All right, so let's run through some of the stuff he did. Pull up three in transition, 23 to 16. It's like he's still hot from the previous game. Three off an offensive rebound, 24 to 23. Drove by a Sabonis closeout. Sabonis close, super hard to him. First of all. When a big man is closing out to a guard, you should be able to beat him off the dribble no matter what. But Sabonis like almost overclosed out because of Derek White's shooting. He goes by him, makes it 30 to 29, gets a pair of free throws. He did actually miss one of them. Then he hits a pull up three to make it 33, 32. He drives again, gets to the free throw line, makes it 35, 35. That's another thing. Like his shooting is going to help his drive game. Then he hit a top of the key three. And then he tipped an offensive rebound. Jalen gets it saves it, and then it ends up back to Derek White for a three. I mean, it was a great hustle play by both Derek White and Jalen Brown. And then he, I mean, he's just awesome. I mean, you look at the first half, 21 points, 7 of 8, 5 of 6, the three blocks, of course, added one in the second half. But just a reminder, if you look at Derek White and you see the way that he can operate in the pick and roll, and remember, it's him and Porzingis playing that two-main game early in the third quarter. Derek White is a pick and roll ball handler, is in the 87th percentile before tonight's game, because obviously the tracking data hasn't caught up to tonight's game, but 93 possessions, 99 points, 1.06 points per possession. Okay. 35 of 73, 47.9%. Now, just to put that into context, that 1.06 points per possession, I told you 87th percentile. Lillard is at 1.07. So, and Lillard's on much higher volume than Derek White. Like a I'm not comparing the players, but we've mentioned this. Like he's been as efficient as Damian Lillard. Now, um, if you gave him the same volume, right? Like Damian Lillard's at 251 possessions compared to the 93 with Derek White, it wouldn't be the same. Like because Dame can pull up from, like he's the closest to Curry in terms of pulling up from anywhere on the court. But it just kind of gives you an idea of how awesome he can be in terms of as a pick and roll operator. And one of the things, like that three he had at the end of the game. That reminded me of, I mean, not that it was as impactful, but the Curry one with the arc that he put on it when he made it 111.85, that was just crazy, man. That was a crazy three that he took in that particular, not like that it was a bad three, but just to be able to put that type of arc on it. I mean, he's really become like, I mean, Hauser is their best catch and shoot guy, and he's been one of the better catch and shoot guys in the NBA, but all-around shooter right now? Is Derek White the best all-around shooter on the team? Because he can do it off movement, he does it in the pull up game and he can do it as a catch and shoot guy. Like if you said two years ago, Derek White's the best shooter on the team, you would have sounded like an idiot because obviously you wouldn't have been correct. But Derek White legitimately is the best shooter on the team. If you're talking about from three points territory, not to mention the fact that he has that drive game with the little floater teardrop, like Derek White legitimately, you think about it. If you a lot of guys, when they get more volume, like we see this, for example, with Mikhail Bridges, who is a great player, and I'm not comparing these two guys But when he got more volume, it became like his percentages sort of went down, right? And he was great when he first got over to Brooklyn last year. But a lot of guys, like when they get more volume, they actually become less efficient, right? Like that's a natural thing to expect from certain guys, right? Like that's going to happen. Derek White, like the more volume he gets, the more efficient he gets. So he's up to 11. This is all prior to tonight, of course, but 11 shots per game. And last year, he's at 9.2. So he's up almost two per game. The field goal percentage has gone from 46.2% up to 47.8%. So not that that's a major leap, but he's shooting the ball better than he was last year. Now, if you look at the three-point volume, he's gone from 4.8 threes per game up to 6.4, and the percentage has gone from 48.1% to 41.5%. So he's up, what, a three-point a three point attempt and a half a game, and he's up 38.1 up to 41.5%. You don't see this when the volume increases With a lot of guys, his two-point percentage, too, the attempts are about the same, 4.5 to 4.6. He's really where the extra shots are coming. They're from three-point territory, but he's been better there, 54.8% up to 56.6%. So it's like the more volume you give him, the better he gets, which is just wild to think about. And he's been outstanding for this team. I know there was a lot, there's been a lot made over the past week or so. Should he be an all-star? It'd be very difficult for him to get into the all-star game just because of the depth you have in terms of the star players at the top. Like when you're looking at, like Lillard is going to be an, is is going to be an all-star. Maxie is going to be an all-star with the season that he's having. And I know like, I don't even know like right now with the all-star game, like how many, like if they're do, I think they're doing like the non-positional thing or whatever. I don't even, or if that's all NBA, I quite frankly, I love Derek White. You know, I'm the president of the Derek White fan club. I don't really care about who makes the all-star game or not, but I kind of do want it for Derek White because He's not somebody that's going to make a ton of them, right? Like, this, if he makes it this year, it may be the only one. Tatum's going to be in a ton of them. Jalen Brown's going to be in a ton of them. So for a guy like that, it would mean more. Like, if you're a one- or a two-time All-Star, when you make it that year, it means a lot. So I really do hope he gets in. I just feel like it's going to be difficult to make it. Like, Donovan Mitchell's going to have a spot. If you're, just, I'm just thinking right now, off the top of my head, when we're talking about the Eastern Conference guards. Like, it's going to be tough for him to get into the mix. But if he does make it, certainly that would be like, hey, the coaches are rewarding all around play, right defense because he's an elite defensive guard, one of the best in the NBA, and we certainly see the offense is completely taken off. I would the one thing I would say is I would just play through him more, and late in games I would play through him more as a pick and roll operator because he makes the right decisions. All right, so Jalen, as I said on Sunday, this is he's still on this streak where he looks so comfortable and. Recently, he looks more comfortable than Jason Tatum. I mean, that's just the bottom line. 28 points in this one, 11 of 21, six assists. And you look at Jalen, last six games, four assists, four assists, five assists, four assists, six assists, seven assists, right? So give him credit where he's at a career high 3.6, but we're seeing it get better as the season goes on. And look, I've been hard on him at times this season. You know that. And I know a lot of you have as well but maybe he was easing into it right like this new role this playmaking role something that he was not used to maybe it was going to take time for him to get better as a playmaker and we've seen it over the past couple of games or really I would say over the past two to three weeks he's we've seen the playmaking the decisions are faster the passes are on target the passes are better I think that we've seen that from Jalen over the past couple of weeks and the other thing I would say is He hasn't been forcing it as much as he did earlier on in the season. Like that magic game that he had where I thought he forced it too much. I thought he forced it too much in the Pacers game. This game tonight, I thought it was no Tatum. You figure like he's going to come out firing. No, hey, Derek White was hot early. Drew Holiday was having his best scoring game of the season. Those guys had it going in the first quarter. And Jalen didn't force the issue. Now, eventually he got going there in that really... In the second quarter, third quarter, he was awesome right? throughout the game. This is not an indictment on Jalen. He was awesome. But eventually, he's picked up the scoring load. But he didn't try to take over or hijack the offense, which I think is a step in the right direction. Because even if you're the biggest Jalen fan in the world, I think you would acknowledge that at times we've seen that over the years where he tries to just take over. And I think early on this season... He had a difficult time sort of fitting into the flow of the offense because this is a guy that's coming off a season where he's north of 25 points per game. He's an all-NBA guy, and he's playing with Kristaps Porzingis, and of course, Jason Tatum is still here. Drew Holiday's coming in. You have Derek White, and he's trying to find where his shots are going to come from, and it feels like over the past two to three weeks, he's really found more of a rhythm. And one of the things he does is, I feel like when you look at this game tonight, so he makes a consistent effort to try to find Porzingis early in these games. So right away he finds Porzingis. The first basket of the game is a Porzingis three, where he finds him on the wing after those guys get involved in a two-man game. Then the other thing he does is he puts his physicality on the game. Right, drives past Murray for a dunk. He had a bunch of dunks in this game tonight, I believe five, which I think may be a career high. But he spun around Fox, backs him in, makes it twenty-three to eighteen. That was another thing he did. Whenever Fox was on him, he said, "Okay." We're going down to the post and Jalen abused him. Euro step in transition got to the line. He had a great pass to Hauser, which Jalen definitely does not make this pass. Maybe not even three weeks ago, but definitely not last season where he got into the lane and he waited for the defender to move ever so slightly to sort of shade to help him. Once that happened, he kicks it to Hauser in the corner. Hauser hits a three. Then he got Herder on him, hits a mid-ranger over Herder, 6358. This is not this has now become almost like an automatic shot for Jalen. Where he has that rainbow following that basically never touches the rim. I mean, it's it's a real it's obviously takes a lot of skill to do that, but it takes a lot of physicality as well to create all that space to back up and still be able to have the strength to hit that shot, especially with all the arc that he puts on that. Then he had a transition layup after the Borzingis block with his left hand, he's holding up his left hand to the crowd. He had a nice cut on a uh, feed from Drew Holiday to make it seventy-two sixty-two. That's just reading the defense, especially when he's on the weak side and Drew Holiday's on the right side of the court. When he sees him pass his defender and he sees the help coming over, right, to help on Drew because Drew has now gotten by the initial defense, he can catch that defender sleeping that's on him and cut to the basket whenever he wants. Dwayne Wade was famous for making these type of cuts when he played with LeBron, and he did this in this game Tonight, he caught a lob from Derek White in transition to make it 85-69. He got Murray in the air, and he got to the free throw line where, again, he was doing his follow a game, and he got Murray to follow him. And then he got Fox up in the air, fadeaway, hits it over Fox, because he still was able to hit the shot with the foul because of the strength, and then he hits the free throw as well. Then the big one, he rejects the screen, gets downhill, and just dunks on Lyles. And that was sort of the statement that this game is over when he dunked on Lyles because he has some furious dunks. I mean, he's a two-foot jumper. So when you have a two-foot jumper, those guys come in with a ton of power when they're going to sort of dunk on you. And Jalen did that in this particular game tonight. So I thought Jalen was awesome. And the thing about Jalen is I want to feel him every night, right? Where I want to feel his physicality like, and set the tone. We know that over the past two years, he's been one of the best first quarter scorers in the NBA, but it almost reminds me of like, when you have a big hit early, like when Dante Hightower would deliver a big hit early in the game, it's like, okay, we're here, right? Like just sort of that message or better example be Rodney Harrison. Rodney Harrison, we were talking to Ted Johnson about him the other day. He makes that hit early on in the game. You make a statement. I feel like Jalen with the dunks that he can deliver early on in the first quarter and getting downhill, getting to the basket, you want to feel him every night, right? And I think he sets a tone when he does that. So over the past two weeks, Jalen Great improvement, obviously finishing much better at the rim. That was a struggle earlier on. The shot selection has been much better. The playmaking has been much better. And I just think overall, he's played a much cleaner game over the past couple of weeks, which you love to see. All right, Drew Holiday, awesome night. Season high 21. First half, 11-6-6. He finishes the game, as we mentioned, with the 21 points. He also had 10 assists and 8 rebounds. Hit a couple of step-back threes in this game. Had a nice lob to find Kata. I thought you got some good Cata minutes where he caught a couple of lobs. One of them he came down with and then went back up. I don't know what he was doing there. But Kata definitely gives you sort of the ability to throw up lobs. But I would also look at this in terms of Drew Holiday. The most important thing from him in this game, the most important stretch was the start of the second quarter because Missoula, Derek White played the whole first. But it took him a while till about the two-minute mark. Till about the two-minute mark before he took Porzingis and Jalen out of the game in that first quarter. And I tweeted out at the time, like, man, I'm surprised he didn't get one of those guys out earlier because you figured you want to come back with two of the main four starters because, of course, Tatum wasn't in there. So you wanted to come back with two of Drew, Porzingis, Derek White, or Jalen. So, But instead, Joe didn't do that. And so you started the second quarter with just Drew in terms of the original start, like the real starting group. Now, Hauser was out there with him as well. But I'm talking about like the actual starters that start normally. So it was Drew Hauser, Pritchard, Kata, and Mikhailuk was in there. Who Mikhailuk, we all know, doesn't play that much. So I'm like, okay, I don't know what the fuck's going to happen here. Like this is, I thought Joe was playing with fire. Give Drew credit. He controlled the game at that particular point in time. And the Celtics, they actually won those minutes 13 to 8. Now, Sacramento was getting a lot in the other end of the court because he had some guys that you could go after. But the Celtics were scoring on the other end, where they were, Drew found Pritchard for a couple of threes in that particular situation. So I thought it was an awesome Drew game. I, I was worried that, I like, if it's me, I'd rather start that second. If I'm just going to go with one of the starters, one of the guards, I would rather go with Derek White. But since Derek White played the whole first, you can't go with Derek White, you go with Drew Holiday. I thought those were outstanding minutes for Drew. And when a guy like Tatum's out of the game, all these other guys that are sort of, not that Drew's on the periphery, but offensively, he's like, Sometimes the fifth option, right? And tonight he gets to move up on the food chain, so to speak. And I thought he was awesome in this game. I thought also great Pritchard minutes, 20 minutes. He had six, th- what, he had six threes in this game. Had four assists. He got the three early off the Brissett offensive rebound. Jalen found him in that, hit a transition three, hit a wing three. Bump, Kata for a nice lob. He had a bomb off an offensive rebound, a deep three. So then in the second half, a wing three, a corner three. He was all over the place. And he's a great shooter. He is a really, really good shooter. He just got off to the slow start this season. So I thought awesome minutes uh, for Pritchard in this game, which you needed, of course, without Tatum. Whenever your best player is out, you need your other guys to step up. Pritchard was awesome. I'm on Brissett Island or Brissett Hive, whatever you want to call it, because not just because he's a Syracuse guy, right? I'm not just saying it because of that. But five rebounds in this game and two of them I kind of alluded to those but two offensive rebounds in the first quarter they lead to threes a Pritchard three and a Jalen three so these are what this is what you want to see like a bench guy that can come in he's a solid defensive player he's a good rebounder I think there needs to be more minutes for him especially when you're getting through like the dog days of the season when you have a wing like this who can play the four who can play the three he can defend all across the board I know he's not a great shooter we all know that but I'd like to see more minutes from him because he plays with a lot of energy. And that's a skill. Playing with that type of motor is a skill. Not everybody can play that way. And I think that's what helps out Pritchard when he comes into the game. He's going all over the place in terms of the offensive glass. And Brissett, obviously, not the player that Pritchard is, is a ball handler and a shooter. But he provides something unique. He provides energy. He creates extra possessions for you offensively. And for a team that doesn't create turnovers, creating extra possessions any way you can Certainly helps out this team, and he's a positive defensive player. So I would actually like to see more minutes from Brissett throughout the season. I think he's been good when he actually gets the opportunity. Okay, it was also good to see Hauser get back on track where he hit a couple of threes. What did he get? Four up, he hit two of them. He also had five rebounds and was a game-high 24. Part of that is he plays in the fourth, unlike some of these other guys. But I like the fact that right away he's shooting again because he's 0-6 from deep against the Warriors, 0-7 total and hit a nice wing three and then a relocation three. That's something we've talked about that he's been doing throughout the season. But the big thing is, because he's getting the minutes, he doesn't lose confidence this year. I felt like last year when the misses came, like he went the first two months of the season, he was unconscious. Then he had that month where he was shooting south of 30% from three. I feel like part of it is the minutes with him this year, where last year he wasn't always guaranteed that. At times he'd be like out of the rotation, then he was in the rotation. So I think now that he has that, consistency where he knows he's going to get the consistent minutes each and every night. He's just going to keep bombing. And that's what you want to see from Hauser because he's been one of the best shooters in the NBA. All right. Another thing is nice to get a road win. So the Celtics now six and seven, or I should say the Celtics now seven and six on the road. They were six and six entering tonight. And it was kind of weird because the net rating was 0.3 on the road, which is 11th in the NBA last year. They had the second best net rating at, 3.3. 3.3 and if you look at the record last year on the road 25 and 16 a 610 winning percentage which was tied for second best in the NBA. The offense has been the issue on the road, a 110.8 offensive rating 23rd because the defense has been fine, 110.5 actually better than fine, really good, 110.4 third, although not as good tonight. But then you look at the offensive rating last year it was third in the NBA on the road at 115.7 compared to 110.8. This season, 23rd. Now, these numbers will jump up after tonight, but they were shooting just 32.3% on threes, 28th. And last year, they shot 37.4% on threes on the road, which was the sixth best. Now, I'm not worried about the road stuff. Obviously, you pick up a big win against Sacramento. But if you look at the losses on the road, it was Minnesota that was a tough game against one of the better defenses in the NBA. Although, I watched the Philly-Minnesota game before this. Philly was... I. Embiid was awesome. Maxey was awesome in that game. They beat Minnesota, and it was on their home court, but that was an impressive win by Philly. But Minnesota's a really good team, best team in the West right now in terms of a record. Obviously, we think Denver's better, but Minnesota, I think Minnesota can give them a series. Philadelphia was another loss on the road. Obviously, we know that's a good team. Indiana, where they went nuts offensively, there, there's no harm in that loss. Orlando, that was, just, that was a no-show, but it's a good team. And Charlotte, obviously, that one was bad. That was not great. You blew that one. And Golden State was not great. But at least three of those losses, you say, okay, like you can live with losing a game to Minnesota on the road, Philly on the road, and Indiana with Halliburton. So I'm not worried that this is going to be an issue throughout the season. I did want to mention, though, some of the issues because the story for 24 hours was, hey, the Celtics never learned their lesson. Look, part of the loss is missed shots, and I alluded to that off the top. But you look at like the open threes they missed, the wide open threes, which means the closest defender is at least six feet away. The Celtics in that game were 8 of 29 against the Warriors, 27.6%, when they're 41.2% on the season, which is fifth. And if you look at Alley, was 3 of 10 on wide open threes. He's 41% on the season. Hauser was 0 of 5, 51.8% on the season. So look, if those guys hit a couple of those shots, we're not talking about this team missing the most threes in franchise history if they pull out the win, right? But part of the issue in that game is you are reminded to some of the problems they've had in the postseason over the past couple of years, where it's like, hey, you're too reliant on the three and poor execution down the stretch and putting yourself in bad positions defensively at the end of the game, right? And look, I don't, I, I don't want to say, like, I'm not panicking over this. I don't see the Celtics losing four of seven games this year in this fashion, especially when you have a guy like Porzingis that can help out some of your offensive issues. But I think one of the things that aggravates you is, first of all, the late game stuff, right? Where let's run through some of it because I feel like if you look at Tatum this year in clutch time, which is the scoring margin is within five points with five or fewer minutes remaining in the game. This season, Tatum, six of 19 in those opportunities, 31.6%. And this is not a big sample size. But three of nine on threes. The team is nine and five in clutch games. Obviously, that wouldn't change after tonight because not a clutch game. Last season in clutch games, he shot 35.1% from the field and 21.7% from three. The team was still 24 and 13. But in the playoffs last year, he was eight of 18, 44.4%. He did hit five of his 10 threes. The team was five and six in clutch games in the playoffs. Okay. So Porzingis was not there, but... Part of what you look at is they don't generate the best shots down the stretch of games. And especially like at the end of the game against the Warriors where it just, Missoula lets them play. And the thing I would say is this about that is I just feel like we don't have a good enough resume that this team is going to make the right decisions down the stretch without the timeout, right? Like if they have, if they had proven that a bunch of times, I'd say, okay, yeah, this is the right call. Because we've seen Tatum go to the basket, make the right play. Or we've seen Jalen go to the basket, make the right play. Or we've seen Porzingis set a screen. He gets it back. He gets an easy opportunity. He gets to the, whatever it is, free throw line, right? We see a lot of these, like Tatum in that game, he has Kaminga. And instead of going to the basket, and because Jalen was in the corner, you can try to get the defender to come over to you. And either Jalen's going to get a shot, or if he doesn't come over to you, you can continue going to the basket. Instead, he settles for a step back three. So that's where I feel like You need to call a timeout unless you have a clear advantage, right? Because I just look at it. One of the things I would say, and this is an argument for the Missoula should use timeouts late crowd, is if you look at points per possession off timeouts, the Celtics this year, you know where they rank? Second in the NBA. 1.32 points per possession out of timeouts. You know where they ranked last year? 1.23, which was first. So they have been over the past year and change, one of the best teams in the NBA after timeouts. Like, Missoula draws up good plays out of timeouts. And even if you watched the prior game on Tuesday where I was watching the Memphis-New Orleans game where New Orleans choked down the stretch, but what did Memphis do late? Taylor Jenkins, who's been a coach of the year, he calls a timeout, and he draws basically a 1-4 set for Ja to get going against a really good defender against New Orleans, but he gets a good look. He gets to the basket, right? Because he flattens out the court and it's much more difficult to help that way when you have shooters located in the corner, right? So I just feel like my thing is I don't trust Tatum shot selection always late in games. And I don't think he makes the best decisions late in games. And that's true for a lot of guys in the league. This isn't like unique to Jason Tatum. And I would say the same thing about Jalen, right? Because odds are one of those two guys is going to have the ball And if you're paid millions of dollars, like Joe Missoula is to coach this team, and you've proven that your team actually does really well when you draw plays out of timeouts, I would be making more decisions where I say, okay, let me take control of this situation because my guys have not, like Joe Missoula has given them this opportunity where he said, hey, I don't want to call the timeout late in games. That's not my philosophy. I like to just go at it because the defense can't get set up, et cetera. And that's a fine theory. But when we've actually seen it over the past couple of years, it feels like it doesn't work. And when Missoula, throughout the season, when he, they're coming out of timeouts, the Celtics are really efficient. I trust that Missoula can drop a good play because the numbers after timeouts have been really good, right? So I just wish that he would do this more often, right? And the issue that I have is I feel like he's now like dug into this philosophy too much where he doesn't believe in it, right? He doesn't believe in like the whole timeout thing became a massive story last year. And I don't even have like as big of an issue of it of stopping runs throughout the game. My bigger issue is at the end of the game. I just feel like we've seen so many times where these guys make the wrong decisions late in these games. Why wouldn't you call something where you can set up a play where, okay, Tatum's going to get, and I get poor Zingas wasn't in the game the other night, but Tatum's going to get a screen from poor Zingas and somebody's getting a screen from Jalen on the other side where you're creating multiple actions where the defense has to think and they have to make switches because When you have the defense guarding all this off-ball action and on-ball action, what you're doing is you're putting the defense in a position where they have to make decisions, and when you have to make all these decisions, ordinarily there's going to be a mistake at some point. I just feel like when you leave it up to these players, they haven't made the correct decisions, right, in terms of we've seen it over and over again, where it's a bad shot late at the end of games, right? And there's not a lot of guys across the league where I would say, okay— I'm not taking the timeout. Just let that guy go to work, right? Like, let that guy make the decision. Like, LeBron, okay, yes, sure. Top of the list. If I'm the coach, if LeBron wants a timeout, I'm calling the timeout. If LeBron has the ball, I'm not calling a timeout. I'm letting LeBron do his thing, right? But other than LeBron, I would say Luka, just because he's a genius in terms of his offensive mind and what he's able to do. And I would say Jokic, is the other guys. If Jokic is getting the ball, okay, fine, we're not calling a timeout. But outside of that, like, even this Clippers team that is outstanding right now, and I can't wait for this game on Saturday, I, I Kawhi is not the guy that's, like, this great offensive engine, right? And I want the play ending with Kawhi even if Harden's going to start with the ball. I want Kawhi getting that shot, so I'm drawing something up when it comes to that. And there's going to be another option for Harden if the option for Kawhi isn't there, right? Like, I'm setting things up. And now, if there's a clear advantage, right? If Tatum's, like, pushing the ball and he has a small guy on him, or even a big guy on him, and you have numbers, sure, I'm not crazy. I'm not saying you always call a timeout, but if the defense has a pretty good chance to set up, like it did last night, the Celtics, I would say let's use a timeout here because they're only 19th in points per possession after a missed field goal. So they're below average when it comes to that. That situation, a miss shot for the opponent, you're coming down the court, Celtics are below average when it comes to that. They're actually better off a of make, which is when the defense is set up, because that's when you run more sets. The Celtics rank sixth in the NBA off a of make compared to 19th off a of miss, which tell, that's when you have your offense more set up, right? That's when you're saying, hey, Porzingis," or in, in the game last night, obviously he wasn't there. Hey, Al, come up, or hey, Tatum, you set a screen for Derek White. That stuff happens naturally more after a made shot than a miss because the defense gets set up. The Celtics are not good in like sort of a scrambling fashion, if you will. So my big thing here as the Celtics are actually much better when they're organized and that's not true for every team but I think what we've come to learn over the past 2 years the Celtics are better when something is set up for them and with most timeouts I'm not or with most teams rather I'm not I'm not I'm using the timeout I should say unless I have the clear advantage even the Bucks right who are, have a great offensive player in Giannis one of the best players in the league if Lillard doesn't have the ball to start the possession say after a miss I'm setting up a high pick and roll situation where, hey, if somebody else gets the rebound, Lillard doesn't get the outlet, boom, timeout. All right, Dame, you get the ball. Giannis, you set a screen. And if they double Giannis, okay, then Giannis has an opportunity to kick it to somebody else. Or if they blitz Dame, Giannis is playing four on three. And that means the big defender has to come over to Giannis to sort of cut him off and be honest with him. And our shooters are open, right? I'm drawing that up, even with the Suns. Durant's a great scorer, but I don't want him going coast-to-coast trying to score. I want to set something up for him, like a pin-down where Devin Booker has the ball, something along those lines. With Embiid as a big, I'm making sure he has the advantage, right? Where, okay, let me get Maxie and let me get Embiid. Like, if I see Harris dribbling the ball up, no, no, let me take a timeout, let me set this up for Embiid and Maxi. It's very rare that I wouldn't use a timeout when I don't have the advantage. Like I said, really outside of LeBron, Luka, and Jokic because those guys are like supercomputers. Even the Warriors, unless Steph has a advantage coming down the court, I'm drawing something up because of all the gravity he can create with his movement off the ball, right? And the Celtics have showed us that they don't make the right decisions consistently down the stretch. So Joe gets paid to make these decisions. I think we have enough proof that the Celtics are not good down the stretch of these games with their two best players making these decisions where you have to take the decisions out of their hands, where you say, here's the play. Now, eventually during that, where it's like, you have three options in the play, you have to make a decision, but I want them to be in a better position. And Joe gave them this opportunity, right? But I think by now, Missoula should realize that, Hey, we got to draw something up because this team is better when it's structured offensively. Not everybody is great. in like the Warriors free flow where they're all over the place. The Celtics are better structured. So, the lesson that I learned from the other day, and look, the Celtics, they needed to get to the line more. You can certainly argue that because you look at the three-point misses and all that, I get it. Like, if you look at the Celtics, we saw it tonight, what happens when they hit a lot of threes. But you also look at the fact, like the scouting report, the Warriors, they fouled a ton, right? They gave up 25.4 free throws to, for, per game, 27th in the NBA. The Celtics only took 17 in that game. No team takes fewer than nineteen. So it's just, that's kind of like scouting report discipline where it's like, we know this team can follow, let's drive more. And like early on in the game, it looked like you didn't need to because the offense was going nuts. And I get all that, right? In terms of getting to the free throw line, it felt like early on in the game, you didn't need to do that, but be disciplined to the scouting report. I would say like sometimes like the defense has something you can pick at and expose where, hey, if you keep driving the ball, they're going to fall because it's not a great defensive team, right? Especially without Draymond, although they haven't been great defensively with Draymond or Either this season, but like if you think about it, the Patriots back in the day when they play the Colts in 2014, they played him in the regular season. Jonas Gray goes nuts, right? Just running all over them. Now Jonas Gray wasn't on the team when they got to the playoffs, but it's like, all right, yeah, we have the best quarterback in the world. We have a guy that's won at that point already three Super Bowls. He's won two MVPs at that point. He can light up any defense in the world. But you know what? This is a game where we can just run it down their throat and win. And I feel like with the Celtics, like, yeah, our ethos is we want to take a lot of threes, which I've said multiple times. I'm fine with them taking a lot of threes. I That's the math. Like, you want to take a lot of threes, but when you have an opponent that can't stay in front of you defensively, you have to find a way to get to the free throw line against that team. And I felt like the Celtics, they did a poor job of that in that game. The one other thing I'd say about the threes, they take the most with the closest defender to defeat two to four feet away, which is considered tight, which, and they're only 16th in percentage, 29.4%. I think you can cut those threes down a little bit because tonight against the Kings, you're getting wide open threes, right? But the other thing I would say too is the Celtics take the most above the break threes, which I don't hate that, but I hate the fact that they're only 15th in attempts in the corner, 8.6. Those are the real efficient threes, and they shoot 44.2% of those, which is fifth. So I just think at times there can be And this is, look, the Celtics are really, 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 really good. But at times, I think they can be, or they can use a little bit more variety, okay, in their three-point shooting, or excuse me, in their offense in general. And I think that's something that they can incorporate going forward just a little bit more, and especially when it's against a team that fouls like crazy. And the one other big conclusion, as we mentioned, is I'd like Joe Mozilla to take timeouts at the end of these games because the team has not... Like, he gave them this chance, and they haven't delivered on it. So that means the philosophy has to change, even if that is your philosophy. If your team isn't executing your philosophy, it means your philosophy needs to change. So that would be the thing. But overall tonight, awesome game, great response. I did not expect this type of performance from the Celtics. I didn't think, like, it was impossible that they were going to win. But the way that they did it, I thought this was impossible. Just beating the shit out of the Kings where your starters don't even have to play in the fourth quarter when you don't have Tatum. Great performance all around. I cannot wait. Clippers, Celtics coming up on Saturday. That's an afternoon game, 3.30. Kawhi and Paul George, James Harden, hopefully all the Celtics. Like Porzingis, this ankle thing is fine. He continued on in the game. So, And look, they're like resting this calf thing, which Porzingis, which is fine. Just make sure you get him to the finish line. But I hope the Celtics are fully loaded. I hope the Clippers are fully loaded and we get like a collision course because these are two of the best teams in the NBA. All right, coming up next, we'll get to a couple of your emails, and we'll bring in producer extraordinaire Jamie McCollin. As the weather gets colder, the NFL offers stay hot on FanDuel. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets when your first $5 Moneyline bet wins. All right, now I'm looking at this Rams-Saints game coming up on Thursday night football. I do not trust the Saints, and I do like the way that the Rams have been playing, so I'll take the Rams to cover the 4.5 at home against New Orleans. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to get in on the action. The app is so easy to use, and there's so many different ways to bet. There's live same-game parlays, you can find bets in the new Explore tab, dive into the Parlay Hub, the best way to find popular parlays, and more. So visit FanDuel.com Pike and kick off the NFL season. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL, must be 21-plus in president-select states. $5 pregame money line wager required. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued is non-withdrawable. Bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Welcome back into Off the Pike. Joining us now, producer extraordinaire Jamie McClellan. He's been all over the world today, or I should say, just all <laughs> over the country. Traveled from California, Los Angeles, back to Boston. He's here with us late night. Jamie, what's up, man? I'm chilling, Brian. I don't know how you do these late night West Coast games on the East Coast. 1:30. You're gonna be tired tomorrow, aren't you? Yeah, it's gonna be. A or long I should day. say it today, because right now it's one thirty-eight in the morning. <laughs> so, yeah, man. And luckily, we're on, we're on, we're recording, not in the same room, so you're not gonna get sick from me. You'll be all right. Yeah, stay away, Brian. All right. So before I want to get to some emails, but before we do that, listen to this parlay that I missed out on tonight. Four Give leg to parlay me. plus nine sixty three on Fanduel. <laughs> Tyrese Maxey, over 29 and a half points. He had 29 and a half points plus assists. He had 40. Nuggets on the money line. They won, obviously, against the Raptors. Jalen Brown, over 27 and a half points. He had 28. James Harden, mm-hmm. over 29 and a half points and assists. Over 28, or excuse me, over 29 and a half points plus assists. You know how many he had? Tell me. 28. Oh, my Lord. So all he needed was one basket and he had a bad shooting night. But I did hit a nice one on Monday night, a seven leg same game parlay plus plus five twelve. Plus five twelve. We had AJ Brown for 50 yards. He hit that. Jackson Smith and Jigba over three and a half receptions. He hit that on the final <laughs> touchdown. The <laughs> yeah, he had four. James Harden, six assists. Kawhi 20 points. Those hit. Kobe White over 31 and a half points, rebounds, and assists. He hit that. This is something that like has not been caught up on yet. He's just going off and the Alliance have not adjusted for his points, rebounds, and assists. Oklahoma City money line over Memphis, Sacramento money line over Washington. So that hit that was plus five twelve. So I don't feel too
1: bad about the one tonight because I had a big one. Yeah, no, on you've been hitting tonight. the hitting the Clippers hard. Will you will yeah, you continue you when bet. they play the Celtics, though?
0: I don't think I can do that to myself. I'll probably do a same game parlay on Saturday, right? Might as well. Yeah, why not? Yeah. I, I mean, I'll probably be here. In the apartment, <laughs> laying, <laughs> laying down still. A lonely Christmas. Know. Yeah, hopefully I shake it before Sunday, man. All right, so let's get to some emails.
1: That email address is off the pike at gmail.com. Who's up first, Jamie? We got this from Brandon, who's feeling bullish about the Celtics. He writes, with the Celtics holding home court last week during a frisky four game with Cleveland and Orlando, when do the 86 Celtics comparison start? They've constructed a similar fashion given the style of game of their eras and thrive when playing the same type of basketball. IQ, rangy, savvy defensive backcourts, and long, hyper-talented scoring frontcourts. Um, I know it's early, but if this team can get the 60 win mark, is it the most talented regular season team in Celtics history? Key word, I would say, is regular there. No. Okay, And I,
0: appreci- I appreciate the email, Brandon, but I would say the more... Legitimate comparison would be the 2008 Celtics. And I know that the 2008 Celtics, I believe they won, was it 66 games?
1: Yeah, I looked that up, 66.
0: Okay, so they won 66 games and then the 86
1: had 67.
0: 67. They had a ridiculous home record. So they had 67 and then 66 for 08. Oh okay, but. That '08 team is not, like, an historically great team because the playoffs, right, where they had some, like, grinded-out series where it was seven against Atlanta, seven against Cleveland, yep. and then they figured it out. Like, the Pistons series was easier for them. They won that right. four games to two in the Lakers series. They won four games to two, but they didn't dominate the playoffs. And I feel like the 85-86 Celtics, I guess the only thing that, I mean, not that you regret it because you won a championship. You would have liked to see, like, the Lakers in that final series. Totally. but. That team had Larry Bird, who's unquestionably a top 10 player in the history of the game. Kevin McHale, Robert Parrish, and you had Bill Walton, who's a former MVP, who had won a championship as the best player on a team, right? And Bill Walton, a top 50 player of all time on the top 75 list, and I know he dealt with all those injuries. The Celtics, this current team, is never going to have a guy that's a top 10 player in NBA history. As much as I love Jason Tatum, he's never going to be a top 10 guy Mm -hmm. in terms of NBA history. And quite frankly, I know he's first team All-NBA last year. He's not a top five player in the league right now, right? He's top 10. He's not top five. So if we're talking about historical, this is a great team. And this isn't me taking a shot at this team, but they're they're not close to the 85, 86 Celtics where during that stretch, Bird wasn't just a top five player. He was the best player in the sport. He was on a stretch of winning the MVP three consecutive seasons, right? So Bird, it was Bird or Magic. Those are the two best players in the league at that particular point in time. And, like, the way that they move the ball. And, look, obviously I didn't watch it live, but you see all the highlights of that, right? Like, we weren't born, Jamie. But the point being is that that team is considered one of the greatest of all time. Like, you put it up with those Bulls teams, right? Those Warriors Mm -hmm. teams. Like, they're in the family photos, one of the best teams in NBA history. But if you want to compare, like, this team to the 08 team, I think that's a fair argument. Because I do think like, okay, the big three, we know what Ray did and sacrificing in terms of shooting. Paul was great that season. KG was the best defensive player in the sport that year. He was awesome, right? But after that, when you talk about Rondo and you talk about Perkins, they don't compare to the starters on this team because this wasn't Rondo yet. Rondo became Rondo later on, right? Like Rondo was great in 2010. Rondo was outstanding in 2012, but 2008, he was a young player. So if you think about, okay, the it's tough to even say who the top three Celtics are, right? Like it's Tatum, Jalen, and is mm. it Porzingis? Who's is it Derek Derry? White? I right? Know, like, okay. Tricky. So, okay, let's just, let, for the sake of this argument, let's just say fourth is Porzingis and fifth is Drew Holiday or fourth is Derek White and fifth is Drew Holiday, right? Like, okay, those guys are better than Rondo and Perk.
1: Yeah. OK,
0: that's a, now look, the Celtics had a nice bench. Eddie House coming off hitting threes. James Posey was good defensively. But this team is better in terms of their top six than that team was. I mean, that, that that's just the reality of it. Now, Kevin Garnett is yeah. better than anybody that's on the Celtics team, right? Like, that's true. But if you're going to compare one like a Celtics team to this team, don't compare 86. <laughs> compare 2008. And I do think if this Celtics team wins the championship, that would be a fair argument. And I know his point is best regular season team. Like, I, yeah. I understand all that. But 85-86, I, I just feel like that's sort of off limits.
1: It's off limits. And um, I, it's just hard for my, my brain even. I'm just bad at doing this kind of thing in terms of regular season. Like, I need to see where it goes. Like, how could I compare it to the regular season of a team that goes on to win a ring? It's just like, unless they win the ring, I'm not comparing it to the, either of those teams, frankly.
0: Yeah, and this team so far, like they don't and this is not to take anything away from. They're not even the best team in net rating. That's Philly. And look, part of it is Philly's had an easy schedule and all that. But I'm just saying, like I feel like if the Celtics win a championship, we'll have a like the 08 thing will be a fair argument. Yeah, I I almost like this team. This team to me is almost like it means more from a fan's perspective because like I'm that close. team, like with Pierce, like you had pain, but you didn't really have like they were cl- I know they made the conference finals, but they weren't really close. Like they weren't going to win the championship when they made the conference finals. And then 07 was a tanking year because you were hoping for either Greg Oden or Kevin Durant. And then it's like, OK, Ray wasn't re- and we'd loved KG once he came here, but it's like. We've seen this group, Jalen and Tatum, go through a lot of heartbreaks together. Al Horford, Al Horford, of course, in that mix as well. Derek White was on that finals team. He was on the team last year as well. So we've gone through a lot of pain with this core. To, so to see it like mainly come organically, look, It'd and I know bad. Derek White came tra- via trade. Al originally free agency, then trade, drew holiday trade. But the two main guys have been here forever. So I do feel like that would be, I, I don't want to say, a better championship but it would be a more rewarding championship just because they went through it
1: all together totally i mean they've come short a lot on the biggest stage i mean ever since i think taylor was a rookie right they lost to lebron yeah um, but speaking of pain brian this, this goes into this next one um this is from a distraught neil in chicago he's talking about the oh. warriors lost uh he writes i'm sick to my stomach after watching that debacle Almost as painful as any of the 22 22 finals loss. Uh, Tatum's ankle injury aside, my main takeaway from the game was the glaring lack of any anger or edge from this team. This team really needed Marcus Smart tonight really missed his fire. Uh, He used to rub off on the entire team. No one on this team exudes any tenacity in the wake of losing Marcus and Grant Williams. I'm so depressed. Even with all the weapons on this team, I'm starting to wonder if our best chance at a title was two years ago make uh make neil feel better brian
0: i don't believe that well i mean like the situation you were in the championship okay so i guess you can argue that but clearly tatum was not ready at that point in time to win a championship he wasn't and he was still in his embryonic stages as an nba player he's still young you know what i mean like you don't see guys Mm -hmm. win the nba championship as the best player at his age and obviously he came up short but i don't miss marcus smart at all and this isn't meant to be a shot at smart but he takes bad shots like do you see Marcus Smart playing the role that Drew Holiday does offensively?
1: No way. No, He would not be okay. that helpless.
0: Yeah, so I, I just, I, I, can't see that with Marcus. And look, Drew's not a perfect player. I think some of the decisions he makes are bizarre. But to say that nobody plays with edge, have you seen Drew Holiday play? <laughs> Dude, Derek quiet? Because I, I get like he's not as demonstrative as Marcus Smart, sure. Drew yeah. Holiday. But this guy's covering big guys. He's cutting people off defensively. I feel like Porzingis plays with a ton of energy. Obviously, yeah, he, he didn't does. play in the game the other night. I think the better point was actually Grant. Grant, now, he like he pisses off his own team. He pisses off the opposing team. Yeah. He pisses off the refs. He pisses off the fans. I would say, like though, if you were going to ask me who did they miss in that game, I would say Grant because at the end mm-hmm. of the game, they kept picking on Al, right, where, they, where Curry's like, bring him up, let's go, let's do this again. And Curry was really effective. He was 5 of 8 shooting against Al in that particular game. And the component to that is if you have Grant, like you can switch everything, right? Not that Grant's going to like shut down Curry, but at least you have that ability. So just from a personnel perspective, I would say that you miss Grant more than you do Marcus because you have two guys at the guard spot that are better defenders than Marcus. Derek White's a way better defender than Marcus, as is Drew Holiday. Like if you're talking about Mm -hmm. missing a guy, I would say Grant's is more missed just because Grant gives you the ability to switch everything. Now Al does too, but Grant's obviously... Younger and Al for the most part this year has held up. It's just I'm reminded of sort of that James Harden game where he went at Al. But overall, like I I don't feel like they missed Marcus's fire. In fact, I think Marcus at times he rubbed people the wrong way. He felt like it was his team. Right. And I felt like you needed to take almost the leadership responsibilities away from him. I don't think this team would be anywhere near where they are right now if Marcus was still on the team. And the trade-off is you got Kristaps Porzingis.
1: That's a pretty good trade off right there. And I just would note, too, all the times we lost to the Warriors before is when Marcus Smart was on the team. So, you know, it's like all of these horrible losses when we had Grant Williams and Marcus Smart. So clearly that wasn't some sort of X factor. But they do need to figure it out in terms of playing. They they seem to melt when they play the Warriors. So whatever it is, yeah. I guess best They're case scenario th- is they don't play them again in the finals.
0: Well, the good thing is the Warriors aren't going anywhere
1: near the finals. This Probably year. not. Maybe not the Heat either. So that would be yeah. really nice. Yeah, the, those two teams, man. They have an edge. It's, it's yeah. true. When we play teams like that, we do crumple a little bit. So I think that's at least I a agree. point. point. I yeah.
0: agree. I just don't think Marcus makes a difference. No, in fact, no. I think you lose worse if Marcus is there. Because what Marcus would have tried to do, take over in the
1: fourth quarter. Mm-hmm. Throw up a bunch well. of bricks. <laughs> Uh, speaking of teams that, I mean, this might be a shot, Giannis, but of the other t- contenders that we play, this is from Michael. He writes, are you at all concerned that the Celtics seem to feel their best option to defend top bigs like Embiid and Giannis is a 6-4 Jew holiday. This has worked for isolated games by mixing up the help strategy, but could be vulnerable in a playoff series as opposing teams adapt. Other options are Al Horford or Porzingis or, or some sort of combination of Tatum Brown or Grant Williams, who's on Dallas. <laughs> so what do you think they should do, Brian?
0: Yeah, well, the Giannis thing is going to be a concern if you get to a potential series against Milwaukee. We understand that. But Al has been like the main guy on Embiid. I know that Drew Holiday like starts on a bit. Al gets like the majority mm-hmm. of the matchup with Embiid. And then the other thing is with Giannis. I thought Drew did a pretty good job when he got that yep. assignment as well. But I think the answer is like, they're going to try a bunch of different guys on Giannis. Like the reality is Jalen is now bulked up and not that he wasn't jacked last year, but I, I don't know. I think he looks bigger. I don't know. And I think actually at the beginning of the season, he looks slower. I think he looks back to what he wasn't yeah. before this Agreed. season. I think he looks explosive and athletic again. I did think he was like a, and I don't even know if it, maybe it was just his decision-making was a step slow. That's why he looked a little bit slower, but It's you're going to try a bunch of different guys. And I'm throwing different looks with Giannis, whether it's Drew, whether it's Jalen. Tatum may spend some time on him. Tatum, we know, is put on 12 pounds. Al Horford, when he comes into the game, all those different guys. And the big thing is, the reason they do that with Drew is they don't want a situation where Porzingis has to match up with Embiid or Giannis, right? Because they want Porzingis to be in the Rob role where he's the roamer, right? And it's more difficult, right? The other thing it does is when you have Drew on Giannis, or for example, like one of the things we've seen them do is they'll put Jalen on a smaller guy, and they'll have Drew on a bigger guy, so you can switch that, or whether it be Tatum, right? Where we saw actually a couple of games ago, they put Tatum on, who was it a couple of games ago? They put Tatum on the center, so they could immediately switch that action. That's what they're trying to do, right? And if you say, okay, we're going to bring up Porzingis guy, not to get too much into the weeds, it gives you the ability to pre-switch that where you can have Porzingis sprint to the other guy and whoever it is, Jalen or Tatum or Derek White, come up quickly and switch. So that's why they do that, right? Where Mm -hmm. now look, Embiid is going to have his moments, right? Although the Celtics have probably played him better than than anybody else in the NBA. Giannis is going to have his moments, but it's just about switching up those looks against those guys. But, I don't want to put Porzingis on one of those guys. I don't think that's a good idea. I'd rather have Porzingis roaming around, mucking shit up.
1: Yeah, I mean, in fairness, I don't think a lot of teams have great uh, options to guard those two guys. They're they're freaks, so uh, they're going to get theirs, like you said, it's just about, I don't know, our strengths can overcome that, I feel like, but yeah.
0: Yeah, I do think, and I, look, this is something I've harped on before. I just mentioned it with the Curry situation. I would like Grant to be here, you know? and miss Grant. Maybe it means, yeah, maybe it means less Hauser minutes, but... Grant somebody that like he he was a good matchup on Giannis, right? He yeah. I, he wasn't as good on Embiid though. We found in the playoffs last year, Embiid was just kind of shooting from the mid range over him, and the mid range is like
1: a layup for Embiid. So like I just in the I can't series, get worked up about the Philly though. I'm just I I can't get uh, you know I can't get scared of Philly. Giannis yes, but Philly I can't.
0: Yeah, I mean I still think back to Philly though. It's like you were down three two, you know, yeah, the Celtics. Like, yeah, like, yeah. and Harden choked choked that thing away. The thing that scares me more about Philly than anything else is, like, do they have a move in them, right? Mm-hmm. Where, hey, could they get OGN and Obi? OB? I tweeted, I think the Kings should go after that guy, like, last year. Right, I mean, that. they have no wings. They're playing Harrison Barnes. The guy looks ancient. I mean, geez, have a little impact on the game, Harrison, would you? <laughs> I mean, come on. What the hell was that guy doing? I don't think Zach Levine's a good fit for them. I don't think that's the answer. I mean, I just he's uh, going to be a bad defender. Like I, I don't think Zach Levine. He's. I mean, the Bulls are better without him. I get he was banged up, but I'm just like, what if? And like this has kind recently been brought. Laurie Markkinen is that mm. a guy that Philly goes at? That's another guy that can like hit. He's one of the best catch and shoot guys in the NBA. I don't know if they like it's a Danny Ainge situation. I don't know if Danny would want to trade him to Philly. I mean, I guess if the deal was right, but I you just can't wonder do that like to the Celtics. No, exactly. I just wonder if they're like, if they're the team, that's the team that I like Milwaukee can't make moves. They don't have the resources because mm-hmm. of the Dame trade and other trades they've made in the past. Philly does. If they want to make a move, like I think OG and would be perfect for that team in terms of having the wing defender. That's something they ha- and look, they're I better be this year yeah, on the wing that they've been in the past, but OG would be, and I don't know if Siakam is great for them just because that's sort of a guy that can't shoot threes whatsoever but that's a team that scares me in terms of if they make a move because they make they're set move, up sure. to do it. they're set up to do it with yeah, the assets right. they have you know what i mean right the only thing about og is like hey do you trade for him and then or do you just sign him in the off season
1: right and throw the tier away kind of thing i mean i don't know i, I just feel like i think we're we're up there like even being down 3-2 last year i think we're realizing as we watch this team going forward like that maybe last year's team wasn't as good as we thought they were. like they look, a no, mile, they look a world away from what they're playing like this year.
0: Yeah, that's true. And you have poor Zingas this year where yeah. when the offense gets stuck in the mud, you can just throw it to him. And you have another yeah. great defender in Drew.
1: And Derek White's playing even better than ever.
0: Yeah, Derek White, man.
1: Derek um, White,
0: could he be an all-star? That's the question that everybody's asking. You know, asking. Brian, I was,
1: I was going to say, you said, oh, I hope he's an all-star, et cetera. We got to use your platform to make it happen. Yeah, get the votes in, people. Come on, let's get the votes. Have Pick a little drive, a little Derek White drive on Twitter or something. Vote want to for make Derek this happen? White. I don't he know. How Celt-
0: yeah, I don't know how Celtics
1: fans are historically with voting. I, I got to tell you, same. I don't, I don't vote for the All Star game. But I'm going to uh, vote for Derek White. I'm going to vote for Derek White twenty times, or as many times as they let me. Okay.
0: Yeah, I know the Red Sox fans usually is they're not big into voting.
1: It's I used to right like, do it like, at the park. Remember filling it out that little punch sheet? Yeah, it's always, like the Cardinals fans are always big on it. Right. Uh, yeah, Toronto,
0: now that they're good, they, they get it out. But yeah, so the uh, Red Sox didn't have big on it. We'll change that. All right, Jamie. Good stuff, man. Thanks, Brian. Feel better. Will do. All right. As always, make sure to get your voicemails in 617 396 7172. Email your thoughts and questions to offthepike at gmail.com. Thanks to Jamie McClellan and Steve Ceruti for producing this podcast, and we'll chat in a couple of days. Hope is here. Visit GamblingHelplineMA.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York.